Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the Gospel according to Matthew. In this episode, we will be in chapter 17, going from verse 1 through verse 13. Now, a while ago, I'm talking like the 1980s, I was a child. My brother and I used to collect baseball cards. Now, we weren't really good at it because we thought that quantity is what mattered, not really quality. Our idea was just to get as many as we possibly could. So we just ended up with a few boxes of hundreds of, well, pretty much worthless trading cards. Now, a real enthusiast knows that for a card to be valuable, it at least has to have somebody important on it. Well, if you were to make uh, trading cards of the characters of the Old Testament, several of them would have names most of us have never heard of. Uh, But a few would make for particularly valuable trading cards, the MVPs of the Old Testament. Now, surely two of those would have been Moses and Elijah. But what if Moses and Elijah were not on cards or just characters even that we remembered from stories in the Bible? What if they were real people that you actually met? Many of us, uh, if we've met, say, a famous actor or a musician or something, uh, would start to get sweaty palms and maybe a little bit nervous, and we'd be excited and want to tell everyone else uh, about this experience. Well, in our text for today, uh, Peter, James, and John are blindsided with a cameo appearance of Moses and Elijah. And like many of us, uh, their jaws drop in the presence of celebrity, and they're not quite sure what it is they're supposed to do. But in this fascinating account in Matthew 17, we're going to learn an important lesson of who the true celebrity is and what our reaction needs to be. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. 
clearly and somewhat predictably, uh, the true celebrity, the greatest of the all-time greats, is here revealed as the Lord Jesus. The cameo appearance of Moses and Elijah uh, cause us to go back in our minds and think about their stories in the Old Testament. Certain events surrounding Moses are particularly relevant and reveal a kind of Moses typology. Jesus is a greater-than-Moses figure. Remember when Moses goes to meet God uh, on Mount Sinai to get the law? We are told that he prepares for six days, which then would match our after six days of Matthew 17.1. Moses then goes up into a mountain, matching our high mountain of 17.1. Moses takes three companions with him in Exodus 24.1, corresponding here to Peter, James, and John. It is there on the mountain that Moses sees God, and as a result, his appearance is changed. He becomes bright and glorious. His face shines. And this stands out as a kind of climax of the Mount of Transfiguration account. But also the result of Moses' transfiguration is that the people are afraid. Uh, which then corresponds to the disciples' fear in 17.6. There's also a similarity with the cloud coming down. Moses' ascent of Mount Sinai really features this. Uh, 19.9 of Exodus records God saying, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may believe you forever. And in both cases, there's a voice coming out of the cloud. So this event with Moses is one of the great events that happens to him. He is allowed the incomprehensible privilege of actually seeing God and is physically changed as a result. Now, this great Moses, who was so revered in Judaism in the first century uh, for actions like giving the law, we have seen here uh, be compared to Jesus Christ. And in fact, uh, Jesus is compared to Moses again and again in the book of Matthew. And uh, Matthew presents the Lord Jesus as a new Moses or a greater Moses. Now, both Moses and Elijah were believed to not only have been the great MVPs of Old Testament history, uh, but they were also expected to come back towards the end of history, uh, before the terrible day of the Lord. There's clear scriptural data for this concerning Elijah. He is miraculously taken up to heaven, remember. And uh, Malachi 4.5 predicts that, in some sense, uh, Elijah will return before the coming day of the Lord. Now, for our Protestant canon, uh, this is how the Old Testament actually ends. Now, back in the first century, the canon list was different, but I think we can say there's something of a providence in allowing Malachi to be the last thing and the last book of the Old Testament. And this is the way Malachi ends. Malachi 4, verses 5 to 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. In fact, uh, Jewish tradition still looks for an Elijah to come. Uh, For example, they have this thing called the Elijah cup, which waits for him at the Passover. Uh, This very passage in Matthew 17 records for us the belief that Elijah would return to bring restoration before the day of the Lord. Jesus' response is best understood as affirming two comings of an Elijah figure. He says, Elijah indeed does come, and Elijah 
has already come. So the first coming of Elijah was fulfilled by John the Baptist. Uh, but this doesn't mean that the fulfillment of Malachi 4, 5 to 6 is fully exhausted. Jesus affirms in Matthew 17, 11, that still Elijah indeed is coming. Now, when he says this, he doesn't mean there's going to be a, be a reincarnation of Elijah, but an Elijah-like figure. If, if you can even think back to when Elijah is miraculously taken up into heaven, uh, right before that, Elisha, his follower, uh, prays that he would receive a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So even from that Old Testament story, we get the idea that Elijah's spirit is, is uh, synonymous with uh, the office of being a prophet, calling people back to repentance and uh, restoring their relationship with God and one another. And that office, that, that miraculous ability can be passed down um, symbolically there in 2 Kings um, as, as his cloak falls. Similarly, some circles of Judaism believe that God miraculously took Moses, uh, that he didn't actually die but was transported to heaven on the mountain. For example, there's the Jewish writing uh, called The Assumption of Moses from around that time. And uh, there was a belief at that time that Elijah uh, would return as well as Moses before the coming day of the Lord, both of them as forerunners. So not only are Moses and Elijah really impressive and important, revered figures in Old Testament history, but they were also believed to be end times figures coming just before the day of the Lord. And in fact, these may be the two witnesses that we read about in Revelation 11. Uh, but let's not get too distracted by end time stuff. Let's not miss the thrust of this text. As great as Moses and Elijah are, they pale in comparison to Jesus. And notice the similarities this account has with the one before it, uh, the events at Caesarea Philippi. The crowds had said that Jesus was like Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But Peter knew better. Uh, Jesus was no mere forerunner of the kingdom. He was the king himself. Peter proclaims that this Jesus is the Son of God. And we're told in Matthew's version that the reason Peter has this spiritual insight is because God revealed it to him. But here on the Mount of Transfiguration, we have more than just the mention of prophets. Somehow, we actually have them in living color. And again, we have God's revelation that Jesus is better than them. Jesus is God's son. Jesus, again, is contrasted. And at the end, Elijah and Moses are taken away leaving people to only see Jesus, stressing his uh, absolute superiority. Now, the unrivaled supremacy of Jesus may explain why Peter is rebuked for wanting to build these tents. Of course, it's kind of a silly notion when you start to think about it, as if these visitors from heaven would need a place to change their clothes and sleep and so are in need of some shelter. But it seems like this is recorded for more of a reason than just to provide an example of Peter being goofy. Uh, he seems to be rebuked here. Now, it's not clear why, uh, but again, it may be because the suggestion by Peter doesn't do justice to the unrivaled supremacy of Jesus. Uh, the, the reasoning may be something like this. As great as Elijah and Moses are, they should not be placed on level footing with Jesus. One does not simply make three tents, one for each, as if they all deserved the same thing. 
We could go a little bit further than this, though. Uh, the idea of building tents may also suggest permanency, like, hey, this is great. Let's stay here on the mountain for a lot longer. Let's make tents so that way we can camp out for a while. Peter then would be at fault because his proposal goes against the revealed plan that Jesus and his disciples must go to Jerusalem, where he must suffer and die. In other words, the forerunner phase of the plan of redemption is over. Now the reality has come. The train is moving on and Jesus has to go to Jerusalem. So one big idea of this passage is that Jesus is incomparably great. Of all the figures in history, even of all the figures in history that we read about in Scripture, nobody can really compare to the glorious Lord Jesus. He is unparalleled in his greatness. And yet we also have to go a step further and say, well, what is the application that this text makes for us? Um, In other words, what's the answer to the so what question? What are we to do with the greatness of Jesus Christ? Well, um, God makes it very clear. He says, this is my son, so listen to him. Because Jesus is so great, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, we have to actually listen to him and what he says. Remember, there's this great prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 18. Again, talking about Moses, it reads like this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you will listen. And here we have the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus is like Moses, but even greater than Moses. And because he is um, unparalleled in his greatness uh, as a prophet, that means we have all the more responsibility to actually listen to him. In other words, if you needed to listen to Moses and you needed to listen to Elijah, how much more do you actually need to listen to Jesus? Specifically, what Jesus has just said. The idea about the Messiah and the disciples suffering and being rejected would have been a hard pill for them to swallow. And in fact, for a lot of us today, it's uh, it's hard to accept that teaching. But because of the greatness of who Jesus is, we must accept what he says as the truth. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.